Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. We had been, me and my wife have been married for a long time, and, uh, gosh, let's see, 14 years and about about a year ago, we bought our first new vehicle after being married for 14 years. And there's nothing there's nothing real fancy about it. I mean, it's got power windows and locks, but the seats don't aren't power. You have to pull a little handle up, you know, and it doesn't have the navigation and all of that. But uh, we'd had it a couple of days, and I wanted to check the oil in it. And so anyway, I. I thought, well, let, let, let's check the oil in this, honey. And she said, okay. And so anyway, I popped the hood and, 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 I, and I went around there and I started feeling underneath the hood for the, little, for the little latch and there was no latch. And so anyway, you know, in some of the trucks, it's down at the bottom. So I start looking at the bottom and, man, I can't, I, I can't find a latch. I thought, well, maybe it's like these gas tanks, you know, that you hit the button and it, kind of pops out maybe it's something like that so i get back in the car and i and i i look around and i ended up opening the trunk and you know hitting the siren that goes off and everything except the hood won't open and so anyway i thought well maybe it's like that gas cap where you hit the button it kind of pops open then you kind of have to push it a little more and it pops all the way out so i got out there and shut the hood well, obviously that didn't work, so I had to go back inside and pull it open. I thought I was going to have to get the owner's manual out. And here's my wife looking at her big, tough cowboy, and the big, tough cowboy can't get a hood open. And so, I, you know, I was losing my man card just, just as fast. I mean, it was just dwindling away. It wasn't an hourglass. The hourglass had been broken, and it was just falling on the ground. And anyway, Griffin comes walking up, and he says, what are you doing? I was like, nothing. I don't need no 15-year-old snot-nosed kid telling me how to open a hood. And so my wife did it, though. She was like, well, your dad can't get the hood open. And he grinned. And so I started praying for guidance from God not to slay him and, you know, to give me divine intervention to get this hood open. And anyway, so I, I popped the hood, and he walked over there, stuck his hands in, and it goes, boop, and popped right out. And I, got, I, I jumped out of the truck, and I said, I'm glad you figured that out. I was going to see how long it took you. And he's like, yeah, right. And so I started looking out of the corner of my eye, like, how did you do that? And you know, I was feeling under the top of the hood, because that's usually the way it is on most trucks and stuff like that. You know, it had a little latch it undid, and it pops up. Well, this one, all I had to do was just turn my hand over, and there was just a, a little button. The, the latch wasn't on the hood. It was underneath. I mean, it was, it was something so, so simple. And... You know, I, I think that a lot of times in life, the problems that we run into, man, we'll start praying about it. We, we, we hope that there's some divine intervention to give us some great big explanation on, on how to solve our problems and stuff. But, you know, sometimes there's not a super spiritual answer. Today, we start a three-part series called Unconventional Christianity. Part one is we're going to talk about that with some of the stuff that you're going through, man. I know you're praying about it and you're frustrated and you don't know what to do, but sometimes not, God's not going to give you some super spiritual answer. Sometimes the answer is, is just real simple. It's real easy and you don't need divine providence to figure this out. You just need to take a step back 
and analyze your problems. In parts two and three, we're going to learn how to deal with trials and tribulations and how one change in your thinking can help you make better decisions in life and bring, and bring you peace from God. And, I, and I'm telling you that I, I start out with this one today because it's not too hard to understand. But as we get into parts two and three, there's going to be a bunch of you that go, oh, wait a minute, because I'm going to challenge what you think you know about your relationship with God. And I and, and, I'm going to be willing to bet that just some little change in the way you think about some things of some probably some deeply held beliefs that you think you have, you're not going to like what I have to say. But if you'll hang with me and not blow up and get mad and shut yourself off, if you'll just listen, you'll see in the next three weeks how these few changes in the way we think can change our lives. You know, there's a, there's a great story in the Bible. It's called the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus takes uh, Peter and, and James and John, I think, or, and, and he goes up on this mountain, and, and they're all sitting there, and suddenly, you know, there's a bright light, and there's a voice from heaven, and all of a sudden, Peter looks up, and there's, there's Jesus and Elijah and Moses are talking to Jesus. I mean, two of the greatest men of God that ever walked this planet have supernaturally appeared on this mountain, and they're talking with Jesus. And Peter, you know, Peter boy, yeah, he he had a big mouth because he always he was able to stick his foot in his mouth a lot of times. I think that's why I relate so well to Peter. And he's like, "Hey, this is a glorious day. I should build some shelters." For all three of you, you know, what? <laughs> you know, and, and Jesus was like, hey, man, just, just settle down for a second while I talk to, while I talk to uh, Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine being two of the men chosen to speak with Jesus supernaturally up on a mountain? These are mighty men of God. But understand that they were just men. And they had their hard times, too. In, in, in Numbers chapter 11, uh, Moses has, has been tasked by God to go and get the Israelites out. And there's millions of Israelites. And now they're wandering the desert for 40 years. And, you know, if I, if I think it's hard to run a, a small, a small uh, group of people called Save the Cowboy, I can't imagine being the boss over millions of people that are wandering in the desert. Man, you talk about thick skin. I think Moses needed to have thick skin. And so anyway, the people are griping and moaning and complaining and belly aching and all the time. And Moses is getting sick of it right? One of the two men chosen to appear at the transfiguration says this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 14. He's talking to God. And he said, I can't carry all these people by myself. The load is far too heavy. And then he really, he, 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 he takes the, the volume and he turns it up all the way on his complaining. And he said, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. This is the great man of God, right? Just kill me. I just want to die. This is, this is horrible. And what did God do about it? <laughs> I love how God operates sometimes. Well, God does answer Moses. Now, God had already spoken to him through a burning bush and, and through other signs and, and stuff like that. 
not all of us are going to be called to bring millions of people out of slavery in Egypt and everything. So Moses is not the rule, but the exception to the rule. But God looks down and tells Moses, like, well, you've got, um, you know, millions of people here. Find you like 70 that would make good leaders and good uh, uh, administrative people, those that can get a good head on their shoulders and, and bring them to the, to the, to the tent meeting uh, in the morning, and I'll lay the same spirit I laid on you, I'll lay it on them too. If you needed help, just ask. If you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you don't need a spiritual, some super spiritual answer sometimes. Sometimes you just need some help, and there's nothing wrong with that. As a matter of fact, if you're too busy, if, you're, if you just feel overloaded all the stinking time, if you're too busy all the time, maybe you need someone else to make your schedule because you stink at it. Seriously. I'm just so busy. Well, who's doing that? Who's making those decisions? Who's making you do that? You don't need some burning bush. If you're too busy, make some changes. And if you can't make your schedule that, that offers some time to relax and, and stuff like that, maybe you need to have somebody make a schedule for you. That's not weakness. Man, that's strength. Because if you can't do it, ask somebody for help. If you're too busy to clean the house, maybe you need to take some of the good money you're making because you're so busy and hire someone to do it instead of just complaining about it. Okay? I mean, seriously, the, the, I think we go to God with all of these problems. We're like, oh, I'm just too busy. You know, it's just too hot. And, and God's like, well, ask some people for help. Now, this is near and dear to, to, to cowboys' hearts and especially, you know, uh, uh, mine and, and Ty's and Robert's and, and, and some of these other cowboys because cowboys are, are, uh, are real big about, like, doing things on their own. Well, I can do it by myself. I don't need no help. I can do it on my own. I don't, man, every single one of us need help. And me and Ty's talked about it out here for a long time. We, we stink at asking for help on a daily basis. And we have people all the time. Is it, you know, is there something I can help you with? Is it something I can help you with? Ah, oh, you know, well, if we need something, we'll let you know. And yeah, we're working ourselves like sled dogs. You know, if, if you're too busy and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and sometimes you just feel like you want to die, man, ask for some help. If you're having trouble emotionally, you're dealing with something, man, go see a counselor. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with going and talking to somebody. And I'm not saying take, let, let that counselor take the place of God or anything, but sometimes, you know, we just need somebody to listen. And that, that's what they're real good at. If you need a hand with something, man, call a friend up. Say, hey, man, you mind come giving me a hand? That's what being a neighbor is all about. It's biblical. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's nothing more important than being a neighbor. Jesus did the whole parable of the Good Samaritan, and at the very end he asked which one was the neighbor. Don't, don't be afraid to ask your neighbor for help and don't be afraid of being a neighbor and going and helping somebody. Asking for help is a sign of strength, not of weakness. Now, some of the things that I'm going to say in the rest of it, if, if, if this hasn't applied to you, um, let me just say this. I have nobody in mind except myself whenever I wrote this. But if the shoe fits, slip your foot in that turkey and, and, and lace it up, Okay. And if, the, and if the turkey don't fit, then don't worry about it, okay? But if you need some help, ask. And listen, you control freak, it's not going to be your way all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't do it all. As a matter of fact, even the greatest men of God couldn't do it by themselves. And you can't either. Don't be afraid of asking for some help.
in 1 Kings chapter 19, we meet Elijah, okay? Now, Elijah was this great man of God. He's a great prophet. And, and, and just before the beginning of 1 Kings 19, what we see is we see Elijah doing battle with 400 prophets of Baal. Now, Baal, B-A-A-L, was was this God that people had made up, and people were sacrificing their children to this God. I mean, it was horrible. You know, sexual immorality running rampant, child sacrifice, you know, treating people bad, killing people, doing whatever they wanted, and they were worshiping, and, and they claimed that, ba- that Baal was the, was the real God, and Elijah all by himself stands up against 400 prophets of Baal. And he basically does battle with them. And, and when we've been to Israel twice now, we have stood on that spot on Mount Carmel where Elijah did battle. One against 400. They prayed and offered sacrifices and nothing happened. And then, and then Elijah goes in there and makes a sacrifice. And the fire from heaven burns up, not just the sacrifice, but he said, douse the sacrifice in water and see what happens. So not only was it a sacrifice that got burned up by fire, but it was a sacrifice that had been soaked and drenched with water. And the fire come down and it burned up the sacrifice and it burned up all the water. And then it burned up all the 400 prophets of Baal. I mean, you want to talk about a victory, one against 400? But God was on Elijah's side. Who else did he need, right? So he does battle with 400 prophets of Baal. He got 400 people against him. And I don't know how many people watching the showdown you know, the prototypical showdown at high noon, who's going to win? And Elijah, with God's help, is victorious. Man, who would feel better? I mean, uh, I don't know what it's like to win top hand and win first, second, fourth, and fifth at, at the biggest roping of the year. But but I, I think that would probably even, even pale in comparison to winning a battle against 400 false prophets in front, in front of, of probably thousands of people. And yet, he leaves there with his head held high, and then a lady gets mad at him. And a lady says uh, that, that, that she's going to kill him. And, and after this lady says that she's going to kill him, it happens in 1 Kings 19, chapter 4. This lady has just said, strike me dead if I do not kill you before this time tomorrow. Now, he's just done, he just done battle with 400 male prophets, and then one lady gets after him. Kind of sounded familiar, isn't it, guys? Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. All of this stuff has happened, these great miraculous signs, and now he's got one lady after him, and he's ready to call it quits. Then he went into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Man, you, you know, it, it just add, adds insult to injury, right? You know, you, you, you expend a bunch of energy, and you have a great victory, and then something small happens, and it just feels like everything crumbles, the, the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. So God answered Elijah's prayer, but he didn't kill him. He sent an angel to do something for Elijah. But it wasn't some super spiritual answer to his prayers. The angel cooked some bread and told Elijah to take a nap. Think about that. And then whenever he woke up, he gave him some of the bread he cooked. And then he told him, he said, why don't you, why don't you go back to bed? You need another nap. So Elijah went and took another nap. And when he got up, the angel had made more bread and gave it to him and then was gone. 
He didn't need some super spiritual guidance, man. He was tired and he was wore out. And when we get tired and when we get wore out, man, we may need, we may not need a, a a miracle from God. What we need is a nap and some biscuits and gravy or something. Okay, we've got to learn to take care of ourselves. All right, we seriously have to learn to take care of ourselves. We have to take care of ourselves physically. Look, you know, I'm, I'm not going to back this up with Bible verses. This is common sense. You put junk in, you're going to get junk out. Okay, it's not rocket science. Man, if your diet consists of preservatives and it comes out of a box, don't don't come crying wondering why you feel like crud. We got to learn to eat right, man. The, the, Elijah had a prayer where he wanted to die, and, and, and all God did is made him, made him some, made him some uh, bread and, and told him to take a nap. Maybe that's what you need. Just a good old home-cooked meal, not McDonald's, not Heaven forbid, not even Chick-fil-A. And I know that's kind of a sin for Christians to say. Maybe, maybe you just need to eat better and, and, and get some more rest. Seriously. I called it unconventional Christianity because a lot of times we come to church to seek these super spiritual answers to our problems. But God gave you a big, beautiful brain. Use it. If you're putting junk in, you're going to get junk out. Get enough sleep. Go to bed at the same time every day. I mean, I, I know very few people that say, oh, I, you know, I sleep great every single night. But those that have trouble sleeping, man, you know, they, they either go to, they're watching Netflix all night or, or doing this and doing that. And then they're tired in the morning and then they want to sleep in on the weekends. Man, if you want to develop a good habit, go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same time every morning. And it's not rocket mechanics. Okay, it's not rocket science. If me and Ty can figure this out, y'all are a lot smarter than we are. You need to take care of yourself physically. You need to take care of yourself emotionally. You need to learn to have some good boundaries. Learn to say no. You know, just, just because you're, uh, just because the school calls and wants you to volunteer for 400 things doesn't mean that you have to do all 400 things. Learn to say no. How many times have you said yes to something and then later you're like, why did I say yes? You know, have some good boundaries. Have some good friends. You know, you'll have to go through a lot of good people to find a few good friends, okay? You'll have to go through a lot of good people to find a few good friends. And finding good friends is tough, but man, when you find one, latch on to them, man. And the best way to latch on to them, if you want to have good friends, you know what the key is? Be a good friend. It's not rocket science. Take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I want you to grow, okay? I want you to grow spiritually. Now, I think that the three main keys, I'm not saying that there's not other ways, but the three main keys to spiritual growth is to pray, read the good book, and do what you're doing now. Come to church. I'm not saying you can't be a Christian without those three. I'm not saying that those three things are the key to salvation, to eternal life. I'm just saying if you want to grow spiritually, that's what you'll need to do. Read the good book, pray, and come to church and learn how to live your life for God. The second thing you need to do to grow or to, uh, to take care of yourself spiritually is live like God told you to. You know, I, I have a real hard time being very comforting when people say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. Man, the Bible's full of stuff. He said, love mercy, act justly, and walk humbly with your God. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, love, self-control, faithfulness. All of these things, man, that's all the stuff Jesus told us to do. Told us to act right. He said, if you, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? Now, he, he may not tell you, okay, now sit in this particular chair or that particular chair or that particular chair. He's not going to, you know, 
necessarily remind you to go get milk. But he did, he did talk to us a lot about who we're supposed to be inside. A few more examples of problems that don't need super spiritual answers, and I'm just going to run through these very quick, mainly because they're lessons that I've learned. How do you respond to inconvenience? How do you respond to traffic jams, bicycle races, people not doing what they said to do? How do you respond to life's inconveniences? Getting mad at inconveniences is victimhood mentality. That's exactly what it is. When you get mad at inconveniences, that's victimhood mentality. You're not the personal victim of a universal plot to make your life miserable. Okay, it's just life. Sometimes there's bicycle races and we don't have the fairgrounds when we were supposed to. It ain't no big deal. Look, we're out here and it's a gorgeous morning. It's not an inconvenience, it's a blessing. You're not the personal victim of a universal plot to make your life miserable. It's just life. Pride produces victimhood mentality. When inconveniences just blow everything out of the water, that, that's victimhood mentality. Some, something is in a plot against you, and that's nothing but pride talking. Pro, uh, <laughs> I can't talk. Pride talking. Victims make excuses. Victims place blame and take no responsibility for their thoughts, feelings, and actions. Well, it was somebody else's fault. That's victimhood mentality, and it's a result of pride. How do you respond to the inconveniences of life when somebody doesn't do what they said that they would do or something doesn't go right? Don't be a victim. Is your life filled with drama? Does drama just seem to follow you everywhere you go? And if it does, you might try to find the common denominator, mainly you. I mean, if your life is filled with drama, no matter what you do, you're the only one that's the common denominator in all of that stuff. Maybe you're the one that's dramatic. Maybe you're the one that's playing the victim and blaming everybody else for everything that goes wrong and, and excuses and taking no responsibility. If you want less drama in your life, be less dramatic. Wow, super spiritual answer. How do you, how do you be less dramatic? It's real easy. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. Make it your ambition in life. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands, just like we told you to do. Mind ye own business, King James Version. Okay, if you, want, if you want less drama in your life, learn to mind your own business. Just because somebody says something doesn't mean you have to respond. Just because somebody says something bad about you doesn't mean that you have to go defend yourself all over the place. People that say bad things about you, they don't care about being right. They care about you making a response. You want to nip that in the bud? Don't say nothing. Let the truth speak for itself. And if people believe them lies, you didn't need them in your life anyway. Let them go. And the last thing that I'll say... If you want something different out of life, you got to do something different in your life. If you want something different out of your life, you got to do something different in your life. You don't need motivation. You need discipline. There's a bunch of stuff that you've been talking about doing. Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And I, I don't know if it's a diet or exercise or, or uh, I, I don't know what it is. But you're waiting on something. Look, you don't need motivation. You need discipline. Motivation will get you up off your butt the first day, but discipline will keep you going. Motivation will not last. That, that butterfly feeling, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the gym every single day, and I'm going to get big and strong and toned and sexy. And Yeah, that'll last like two days, okay? When motivation runs out, you'll need discipline. I said it was the last thing, but it's not. There's one more. Listen, you can't care about everything. You can't care about it, everything. Truly caring about less things 
will bring you more satisfaction. Everybody's got a has their sacred cow, man. They they you know it doesn't matter if it's standing and kneeling or shoes or politics or what. Everybody's got their sacred cow that they feel that everybody should be just as passionate about their sacred cow as they're passionate about their sacred cow. Look, just because it's their sacred cow doesn't mean it has to be your sacred cow. All right, find some priorities in your life. And stick to those priorities. Don't ask everybody else what your priorities should be. You find your priorities. And make them your priority. Should you put God before your spouse and kids? I had a lady ask me that one time. She goes, I don't care what you say. I'm never putting God before my kids. But what she didn't understand is when you put God first, she's able to love her kids more. Should you put your kids before your spouse? I say no. Putting your kids before your spouse teaches your kids that they don't have to respect their spouse. And it teaches kids entitlement. That they're the center of attention. Best thing for a kid is to see a, a husband and wife with a happy marriage. When they grow up, they'll know what it's like to how to treat a woman and how a woman should treat a man. Don't put them first in everything. And I'm, and I'm not saying don't to, to abuse your kids. That's not what I'm saying. Okay, but don't pit the don't 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 let your kids pit one against the other. All right. And I know that that's unconventional thinking. You can't care about everything. If you cared about a million things and you had a million dollars to give to your million things, that means you only give one dollar to everything, and that's not going to make much of a difference. But your life is worth a million. And if you only cared about four or five things truly, you can make a true difference in those things. Find your priorities. I know it's unconventional. I know it's unconventional. But maybe maybe all you need to do is ask for some help. You know, may, maybe, you need to, uh, maybe you need a nap and some good food. Maybe you need to let go of pride. Maybe you need to get rid of some of the drama in your life. If you want to do that, mind your own business. And find your priorities. Find what makes you tick and follow those things let's go to god in prayer father thank you for loving us your ways are not our ways your ways are unconventional in light of how the world and religion will tell us how to live you gave us a roadmap to right living through your word teach us to follow it and live an unconventional life down here until we can live a perfect and unconventional life up there with you for eternity and the only way to do it is through faith in your son jesus christ and it's in his name we pray amen